Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? Doing pretty good, Richie. What's going on? A few weeks ago, Lego released their Saturn V rocket. Now, I've been waiting for a Saturn V Lego uh, model for years. I mean years. So that should be pretty cool. Did you order it? Ordered it. It came in. I've already put it together. This thing is massive. I mean, it's, it's close to three feet tall. It's ridiculous. Wow. Nice. So what do you have it? Is it inside of your office? So right now it's inside my office. Um, I'm going to get a, a floating shelf. I'm going to put it on uh, above one of my windows. But man, what a, a great build to put this thing together. I mean, you, you're just putting these things together and you're like, how in the hell is this supposed to be put in the rocket? And all of a sudden, dunk And, you know, 20 steps later, you're like, oh, that's how that works. And it was, it's just, it's just one of those things where there's, you could tell people put a lot of time and an effort into it to put this thing to set, to set together. And the cool thing about it, it's a Lego idea. So just regular Lego fans like myself put it together and people voted on it and Lego s- s- selected it for production. And here we have this phenomenal Saturn V rocket. If you don't have any Lego sets, get this one. This one is so awesome. Nice. And this is like a limited release kind of thing or you think this is going to be around for a little while? No, this is. I don't think this is going to be around long at all. Um, with, with all the Lego, the Lego idea sets, some of them are around for a little bit. Most of them go pretty quickly. I know, like the Back to the Future ones, they're gone. Um, you could, if you're interested in like the uh, the Ghostbusters Ecto One, that's probably still around. The Beatles, uh, the Yellow Submarine is still around. But pretty much everything else is gone. And this is their 17th set, so I would say go get it now. <laughs> don't don't wait around for this because it probably won't be around much longer. Nice. Cool, man. So what's new with you? So I actually just finished my last cohort of CS50. School's out for summer. Yeah, my latest cohort just finished, man. Those, you know, we had six weeks, you know, C-sharp, ASP.NET Core, Visual Studio Code. You know, our buddy Joe Rayo, he came through for a little bit and talked to him about Azure. And overall, I think we had a pretty good time, man. Usually at the end of the course, there's always a final project that they do. And every year, I'm always so impressed with some of the things that they put together. And there's always things that I don't teach them, right? So obviously, like, they have the tenacity and they have the ambition to go out and kind of just find things and build it. You know, one of my students went ahead and learned Unity and started building Unity games. Like, psh, I don't know anything about building games. So that was that was pretty cool. Another one was doing stuff with Azure, IoT, and Windows IoT and Raspberry Pis and all this internet of thing things that I don't know about. Um, but it was pretty cool, man. Um, again, I was pretty proud of them, man. They, they, they did a really good job for only having six weeks of C-sharp, right? Again, and this is, you know, this is not a group of folks that have programming experience in general. This is, you know, I'm pretty green, right? Like I'm I'm fresh off the, the compiler kind of thing. It was pretty cool, man. I'm really proud of them. I think that just really speaks to the ease of development that you can quickly put things together today. You know, I remember when I first started programming, it was hard to pretty much do anything, you know, yep. when APIs and all the other stuff. But nowadays, you could put something together pretty quickly. The problem is if you want to get things done in a 
production type manner, it's still pretty tough to 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 get the the hundred percent you know bulletproof code type stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's you know what's interesting too is that they came from a, a C background. You know, their first few classes were in C. So when I introduced them to the debugger, they're like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" <laughs> <laughs> you mean I could see all the values? Like, yeah, it's right there. <laughs> yeah, so it's that was pretty cool. It's kind of like me going back to C, uh, C sharp after using JavaScript for a couple weeks. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's it's all here. It's amazing. What strongly typed? What's this? That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Carlos Chacon. Carlos is the managing partner of SQL Data Partners LLC a consulting firm assisting private practices with their data. He's the co-host of the SQL Data Partners podcast, which has celebrated two years on the air. He enjoys traveling and has been to four continents, speaks Spanish, and can eat his weight in raspberries. Not yet proven, though, but, you know, he might be able to do it. He and his family live in Richmond, Virginia. You can connect with him on Twitter or on LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on March 31st, 2017, and now our conversation with Charles Chacon. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. So, Carlos, man, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. So, for our listeners that have you know never met you before or never heard about you, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what is it exactly that you do? Sure. So, um, I am ultimately an entrepreneur. And uh, I'm in the database space. SQL Server is my home. And um, my organization, SQL Data Partners, uh, provides managed services and database support uh, for organizations, mostly in the medical field. So practices that aren't hospitals, right? So these could be five doctors to 50 doctors. That have data, their data has gotten big and they need, they need some help, uh, putting in, you know, basic things, if you will. So performance or, uh, you know, DR type scenarios. Those are, that's kind of the area that we focus in, in most. I have a podcast that is related to SQL server topics, uh, called the SQL Data Partners podcast. And, um, I've uh, put together some introductory SQL training at zero to sql.com. So kind of think select star kind of starting from there and moving forward with the T SQL stuff. So why don't we start with your, your journey into technology, right? Like how did you even get interested in, in technology to begin with? Yeah, sure. So my dad was a big influence there, an electrical engineer by trade kind of moved over into computers uh, with bell labs, uh, you know, out of AT&T, um, the organization that they were working with, eventually he started a company called Amtiva that was, at the time, one of the, I won't say at the forefront, but they were in the, like this was back, you, know, you had a telephone and calling into the telephone and having the computer recognize, you know, so voice recognition. And so I would intern with those guys. So my first job that summer was actually like doing inventory and stuff. The next summer, I started installing computers, uh, Windows 95, feeding the floppies into these, into these, uh, these machines. 
Just became, you know, more interested in computers. I thought I was going to be a network guy. That company was purchased by Cisco Systems. Um, and so I uh, did an internship with Cisco. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to be become CCNE. So when I went to school, I originally started in business, but it uh, quickly morphed uh, into the information technology realm. And uh, I wanted to be a network guy. And that's uh, that's the kind of how it started. You started going on this interesting path, right? Like very much in the networking side of the things. How did you eventually get into being in SQL Server? <laughs> so I did not want to be a database person. I So in that information technology degree program, I had to take two database classes, neither of which I cared for. Okay. Um, they were both taught by ad hoc professors and they just, I didn't, I didn't like them, didn't care for them. And again, I kind of had this, you know, pro Cisco, wanted to be a CCNE. And, but I had the, that, that company that I was working for, I was supporting their consultants. So I would send up, stand up a lot of sandbox environments, different applications so they could do testing, you know, things like that. And SQL Server got into the mix. So SQL Server 7, uh, 2000, it was out as well. Right. And so, as a result of that, I had had some experience with it. Um, one of the consultants left the organization and actually went to go work for the state of Virginia. A couple of months later, he calls me up and he says, hey, Carlos, uh, they have this DBA position available and I think you should apply for it. And I said, I think you're crazy. Um, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to apply for that position. And they said, well, this is what they're paying. <laughs> And you're like, yep, I'll be And right I was there. like, oh, well, maybe I am interested. And so it was literally double what I was making. Yeah, that sounds attractive, right? Yeah, <laughs> very, very attractive. That's right. Yeah. And interestingly enough, uh, again, he happened to be on the interview panel. And I, I maybe this wasn't all on the up and up. But he said, before you come in, just take a look at these sites, right, to help you prep for the interview. And okay. wouldn't you know it? that the questions they asked in the interview were awfully familiar <laughs> based on those websites he had passed me. And uh, it was a scenario where, so they had an Oracle that, it, that the state was an, an Oracle shop and they had kind of a, you know, an older fellow who was working there. Great guy. Uh, I loved him to death, but he did not want to do SQL server. And some of the newer features like SharePoint, for example, uh, newer that, you know, some of these, uh, you know, these off the shelf products were using the SQL server as a back end. He didn't want to support it. And so the truth of the matter is that I was not qualified to be a database administrator. Um, but again, kind of through connections and a little bit of networking, they offered me that position and I had a great mentor. And so what would happen is I would go, uh, to Chuck. Chuck was his name and, Somebody would ask me something, which I wouldn't know how to do, of course. And I'd go to hit Chuck and I'd say, hey, Chuck, how do you do this in Oracle? <laughs> and he'd show me and then I'd go figure out how to do it in SQL Server, right? Basically kind of reverse engineering a little bit. Oh, okay. And that was the that was the path, um, you know, and, and he ended up being ended up being really nice because I had somebody who was kind of had been in the trenches, right? Tried and true. And while our systems were different, um, he taught me a great deal about, you know, about what it takes to be a, you know, a database administrator. And, and that, that's that, then how it kind of started. 
Um, now, ironically, I actually got more and more into SharePoint. And then again, working with the state, I decided it wasn't quite uh, as fast paced as I wanted. And I was still kind of a young guy. And I said, I need to get out of here and, and ended up leaving. But I had enough at that point, I had enough database experience that I could then go to the next place and, and, uh, you know, and, and contribute right in a meaningful way. So Carlos, we went from, from networking to SQL Server, and, and now you actually run your own SQL Server company, right? Is that, That's right. Is that, is that correct? It is. So tell us a little bit about how did you go from, from now being a SQL Server professional employee to now having your own business doing this type of work? Ultimately, I got into business for the wrong reasons. Well, Money? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Sounds like a writing I mean, reason to me. And, and, and well, so it's interesting. I, I guess ultimately you are in business to make money. That's totally true. But my bad reason was I was looking at the hourly rates of some of the other consultants that were coming in, and they were looking at you know they were coming to me for questions or getting you know for answers to either questions, and I thought, well, look, you know these guys are making you know really good money. Like, why can't I do this? And that, that wasn't quite the right approach. I wish I had done things just a little bit differently before I, before I jumped in. But of course, that's all bridge and, you know, water under the bridge now. Um, but ultimately, I mean, the, I think the reason that I stayed with SQL is a lot to do with the community. Um, I, you know, enough can't be said about that, that uh, ability or the opportunity even, right, to be able to go to either a user group or a conference or a, uh, a forum and feel like you kind of belong, like you're welcome, right, that people are willing to take the time to, uh, to talk with you about things. So being in Richmond, Virginia, I grew up in Andy Leonard's backyard, right? So this is, you know, he kind of walks on water around here. And he started the user group in our area. And kind of, you know, started that legacy. And, and many people have come, you know, since then to help with the user group. And so kind of going to those meetings, getting to know those folks and, uh, it is kind of what, what helped keep me in there. And then, you know, getting into the business again, like I mentioned, that's how I kind of jumped in. Um, then once you get in there, right, you start kind of, uh, drowning a little bit. Then you kind of learn, okay, what, what it is that I, what do I want to do? What is it that I not do not want to do? What things are important to me? How can I formulate my business so such that it will help support the things that I want to do? And that's kind of where, you know, for the last uh, couple of years, you know, I've been working to, you know, to get to that point. And so that's afforded me. Uh, and ultimately that, that flexibility has been the biggest advantage and the reason that I've continued to, you know, to stay as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, in fact, this afternoon, I was, we were talking about soccer earlier. I refed a, uh, a high school, uh, girls game. Um, and so being able to do things like that, the game starts at four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, just being able to, uh, take off and say, Hey, I'm going to go do this game. That's something that's very valuable to me. And that's why I enjoy, that's, that's one of the, the very nice things that entrepreneurship uh, brings. And I think that's a great example of how your life has been able to to change, right? And also change for the better by now you you and yourself have been, you know, you're taking more control over your destiny, so to speak. And that's definitely true. That it's definitely been very rewarding to be able to do different things. That's not to say it's not without its challenges, right? 
Right. Of course. As an entrepreneur, you know, there is no, there's not, there's not that guarantee, right? You don't have the, that stability, if you will. You need to continually be able to engage with new clients, new people, uh, to kind of keep things moving. And like the first time you hit that dry spell, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to decide if you're really in it for the long haul or not. See, when I hit my first dry spell, that's when I got out of consulting. <laughs> it took me three <laughs> years, but that's when I got out. Yeah. You're like, uh, I don't like this anymore. You know, yeah, particularly I, I was lucky enough that my first client was my previous employer, right? Yeah. Which I don't think is uncommon. And then all of a sudden they that contract ends and you're like, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had one client. Um, it was it was a great three years, but you know um, my time was done there, and um, you, you know at at some point you, you're just like okay, I'm gonna go out, and I'm gonna do it, and I after you know two months, you know I, I did I did one job it was for four months, and then after two months, you know my wife just looked at me and she said, "You're not doing anything you need to be doing to run a business." It's like. You're doing the fun stuff. It's like you know you're not doing the real stuff, and you right. know like the sales and the marketing and all that other stuff, the stuff that you know I went to school for, but I really hate. <laughs> and at that point, she says, "I think you should look for a job." And you know we had you know we had a, a pretty sizable emergency fund for you know stuff like that, right? Because mm-hmm. she was uncomfortable with out with me on my own. So we had built that up and she didn't want to see that go down. No, exactly. So I, so I got a real job after that. (laughs) Yeah, it can be. And and again, that's kind of one of the, one of the things I say about, you know, jumping in, right. Just, you look at those rates and you're like, Hey, I can do this too. Um, and, and I would, I think I wish I would have spent a little bit more time about, yeah, what, particularly that question. And this is actually something that would apply even if you're, you know, you're working full time for somebody is that ability to tell that story, right? What story can you tell that's going to help shape or, or, or help demonstrate the value that you're going to provide to your customer? And getting good at that, I think is really important. So you mentioned a little, a little while ago that, you know, one of the things that you were able to do was to obviously have some more time to do other things, right? Like coaching soccer games and things like that. Could you tell us what are some of the other things that has changed or you've had to change, you know, when you made that transition into becoming, you know, going independent? Yeah. So the, I, th- I would think the biggest change is the mode of thinking, right? Because particularly I had been a DBA, right? People were coming to me with DBA questions. Um, I hung my shingle. And thought people would come to me with DBA questions. (laughs) And it didn't quite work that way, you know, immediately, right? Again, that idea of telling the story. What problem are you going to help them solve? And, you know, into the marketing, you know, and and all all of those things. Um, How well do you communicate with them? Uh, Soft skills. All of those things. Uh, while I feel like I'm, you know, pretty, uh, pretty good natured generally, right? You, you still have to work on how are you going to communicate with a, with an owner of a small company, um, about 
the things that you're the services you're trying to provide and how they're how they're how they're going to help that business. Those those were really the biggest changes that for me that I experienced. And I'm guessing now too, right? You're you're not just the employee anymore, right? But like you're the salesman and the marketer and the the accountants. And, no, exactly, exactly. You know all these different hats that you have to wear. And so how do you how do you balance the time to to do those things and and how do you even learn how to do those in the first place? Well. And so this is what like podcasts like this are so important and they have been um, probably where I've gotten a lot of that learning um, also by asking other people. Right. So we, we, we talk about networking, um, you know, it, so reaching out to others who have to have done certain things, asking them what they're doing, what hasn't worked, what has worked. Um, those are all all ways of learning. Last year, I actually ended up partnering with Steve Stedman, um, invited him. We, we, we kind of started, had this very strange, uh, kind of getting together, he being from the West Coast and me being from the East Coast. Uh, but ultimately I invited him. I said, Hey, you know what? We should partner up and, and do this. And that has helped with some of that type of, those types of, of things, right? So now, there are two people kind of working collectively or, you know, together, uh, for, for a single, for a single goal. And so those roles help bring, um, some stability, right? So you don't have to do, you don't have to do everything anymore. And that has been, uh, super helpful. I can imagine having a partner definitely helps, right? Because now there's, there's somebody for you to talk to. There's a support system. There's, you know, there's a there's a load balancer, right? Like, and so it obviously kind of helps tremendously. No, that's right. Being able to, uh, to you know to bounce those ideas off, and then uh, you know the flip side is, is that sometimes you know they say yes, that's a great idea, and then sometimes they're like, "You're crazy. <laughs> that's a horrible what idea. You know? <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah, and you're like, wait, wait a second, you know, and uh, you know, then for those of you who who are married, you'll very familiar be like what, what what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> right exactly and you have to work through that right and but you know all's well that ends well and it, i think the important thing there particularly if, so if you're actually considering about taking on a partner right have those uh, and this is actually something i got listening to a cd uh, on tech starters was having the difficult conversations to begin with for example how are you going to split the business? If you can't have that conversation in the beginning, your partnership probably won't work. Um, just because you, you, you're either afraid, right, to have those conversations or you're not sure yourself and way better to kind of get a format or a structure in place uh, before there's a lot of money involved. And then waiting till after, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have, you know, all the legal things that can come. So, Carlos, <laughs> another thing that I, I see that you do, in addition to having this business, you also have a podcast, right? And I'm guessing the podcast is also very much related to what you do at work. So, so how did you get into starting that? Well, so um, interestingly enough, I, so my father's from Costa Rica. And I always, and I lived in Argentina for two years. I was a missionary for our church. And so I 
had wanted even before we got married. I, I told my wife, I said, hey, I'd like to live overseas. And of course, you know, life happens, right? We have kids. Uh, we actually have five kids now. And so that it just never seemed like a good opportunity to go and do that. And so, of course, we started this business. And one of the things I wanted to do was, you know, location independence. And so the ability to be able to live overseas and run the business from there was was the ultimate goal, at least I thought. And so we wanted a, to take a trial or a test to see could we hack it basically in another country. I was leaning towards either Latin America or South America uh, because I, I wanted the kids to, you know, to, uh, to improve their Spanish. I haven't been teaching them as well as I should. Uh, my wife doesn't really speak Spanish, and that's, that's been difficult. So that was the target area. My dad moved back to Costa Rica several years ago. And so really that became the obvious place because we had a good support system there. So we had I had some clients there at the time. Everybody had okayed the, my largest client, my acre client, if you will, had okayed the working remote from Costa Rica. And so that greenlit the, the idea. And so we were going to go down to Costa Rica for two months and kind of see what happened. Well, about three weeks, we purchased our tickets, you know, we were making plans, got it, you know, had to get a rental agreement, all that stuff. And again, because my dad was down there, that made it uh, a bit easier. And about two, three weeks before we were actually supposed to leave, anchor client pulled out and said, oh, we changed our mind. Your contract's done. <laughs> like, awesome. And then, of course, you know, again, kind of some of these issues that we were having, we were down there in Costa Rica, and I did not have a great way of getting new clients while we were down there. As I was talking with people, you know, very open, like, hey, I'm in Costa Rica right now. Love to, you know, start working with you. Everybody was like, talk to me when you come back. And I'm like, okay. So I anticipated, you know, having a bit more work to do while I was in Costa Rica and now didn't have nearly enough. And so um, started, I had been looking at it, but for whatever reason, just put, pushed it off. So uh, followed kind of the John Lee Dumas formula. So if you're an entrepreneur on fire is, is his podcast. And he has actually some great lessons if you're interested on podcasting. I'm not sure. Just be wary, right, of the Kool-Aid. Uh, but that's the formula that I followed. And I thought, you know what? Um, at the time, there really weren't too many. There was really only two podcasts uh, for SQL Server. Uh, so one was SQL Down Under. And which he wasn't, he wasn't really posting regularly. And then the SQL Server Radio guys, very funny show. I mean, I love those guys to death. And, um, but I thought they were doing it every other week. And again, so this is where I was toying with this idea of doing it more frequently. So I thought, okay, well, let me do mine. I'll do mine weekly. And so that's really kind of where it started. I had this time, I had been traveling, uh, and, and I knew enough people, if you will. And so basically, I started emailing the people that I had done SQL Saturday with, SQL Saturdays with, um, other events with, the Microsoft folks, anybody that I that I knew. Basically, I said, "Hey, are you interested in talking with me about what you know about SQL Server?" And that's kind of how it started. And uh, then, of course, and, and uh, the goal was to do it for one year. So 
you know, while technically 52 episodes, I said at 50 episodes, I'm going to go to 50 episodes and then see kind of where we are. And luckily, right, again, those initial, like if you were in shows number one to like 22, <laughs> you, you're on my good list, right, for the rest of your lives because that was, you know, just really challenging. I was trying to, you know, get my footing, uh, trying to figure out the formula, you know, is more than my mom going to listen to this? Uh, you know, all of these things. And, um, you know, it, it continued to grow. I was starting to get good feedback. Um, people thought it was interesting. And so I decided to that I would keep going. And then episode 50, instead of stopping, that's when I invited Steve Stedman uh, to be the co-host. And then from there, it's even, you know, gone bigger than that. So... So speaking about soccer, because I, I need to get this in before this conversation is over, Sus, I need to talk about. And I need to let's, talk about refereeing soccer. And why in the world would you put yourself through that? <laughs> because <laughs> I, I'm, I had both girls in soccer, right? right. One was, was uh, because she needed to get an activity and be out. And she was just another player on the team. Uh, she enjoyed being on the team, but not necessarily playing. And mm-hmm. my seven-year-old, she's a complete opposite. She's the best player on the team. All she wants to do is score five goals every game. And more <laughs> often than not, she does, right? Wow. She's, she's, um, she's the one that uh, the, the uh, parents on the other team tell their kids, stay on her, don't let her do anything. And she doesn't get any of the calls because she's just running shot all over them. I don't know where it comes from. I know nothing about soccer, right? <laughs> but I've become the parent to, to be yelling at the refs all the time because they miss a, a, a flag or yeah. see, look at me. See, I call it a flag. A flag. <laughs> they, they miss a penalty it on does. my kid right. because she's been pushed and shoved around because she's the best player on the squad. Right. Right. So why would you put yourself through that to be attacked by me on a, on a every or every game basis? That seems insane to me. Why I got involved? Gosh, that's a great question. So I actually started refing. Gosh, it's probably been. 13 years ago um and and, mo- and the biggest reason there is just for physical exercise right i can't stand running um like it's just it's just boring and so i needed something right to help me get up out of the computer and you know away from you know away from the keyboard yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and to you know to do some exercise um you know my my weight is kind of you know continues to to uh, irk, you know, not irk, uh, continues to go upward, and so I, I needed, I wanted something that I could, that I could, that I could do, and and I found uh, refereeing to kind of fit that that mold, you know, and so I enjoy it for the for the most part. The kids are pretty good. Um, the parents, the one thing that they don't understand, nobody understands a handball, or they have a vague understanding of what offsides is. But they don't quite understand all of the all of the components to it. So those are really the biggest issues that we have. Um, but you know, you go out there, you have fun. Uh, you know, they got so normally we wear yellow, yellow or black is the predominant colors, and uh, we always say that the, you know the yellow team always wins. And uh, so it's it, it really is a lot of fun. It can be a lot. Well, of let fun. me let me tell you, uh, last Saturday. You blew a, a crazy call. I mean, my daughter was in the penalty box. She was in the box. There was no one in between her and the goalie. And she got pushed down from behind. How did you miss that call? Yikes. Nothing was called. The ball rolled right to the goalie. I don't know how you missed it. I am 
I'm still upset. I'm thinking about leveling some sort of challenge or whatever I need to go to persecute <laughs> you or prosecute you or whatever. But I'm upset at the call that you made. Well, luckily, I think the good, the great state of Virginia will uh, protect me uh, from the game that happened in Florida. <laughs> At least that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, it's funny because um, I, I don't say anything to the refs because I understand that you know they're they're getting paid their like five bucks in the bottle of Gatorade, you know, and right, right. you know, for a bunch of seven year olds, you know, kindergarten and first graders, you know, I mean, really, come on. Um, but there was when you have a good ref that actually calls the things and especially at that age teaches them what to do, but actually makes the call and right. stops play, puts everyone in the right spot and then continues on. It's amazing. It, it, is, it is so different than the regular, you know, maybe it's a high school kid. And he's just, you know, there for because his dad runs a league or whatever. Right. Um, blows the whistle and then says, okay, come on, you know, and then kind of goes off. That when um, I've actually shake, sh- sh- have shaken the hand of the ref afterwards and when he, you know, when it's a really well called game and said, thank you, you know, this is the best called game that we've had all season. You right. know, and it, even it, some, does, it does make a huge difference, right? And, yep. Yeah, because really, and it's not that that referee is trying to to do more in, in a sense of like trying to impede the players, but he is. He, he understands the rules. Probably have a great presence. Uh, just his mechanics, you know, their mechanics are very good. And then you know, he or she, you know, th- that communication speaks right more than just you know blowing the whistle and or not blowing the whistle. Um, right. And, yeah, I right. found that to also be very beneficial when you're going through the game. Um, and so it's yeah. all kind of about, about, in a sense, leadership, right? And and guiding, even though there's all kind of all this chaos around you, right? Particularly at that, at that level, um, being able to understand what kind of the objective is, safety is always a big issue. And then being able to, to help guide everybody uh, to a safe end, regardless of who the, what the actual scoreboard is. Yeah, it's only chaos at that age because my daughter is creating it. I mean, that is really <laughs> the only thing. And it's not that she just creates it on the pitch. She actually creates it at home. Like, she was walking around breaking her uh, her spaghetti to the dinner table today. And, of course, she's got the soccer ball between her legs. And she <laughs> wasn't paying attention to how level this plate was. And so the entire plate of spaghetti fell on the floor. And <laughs> But she didn't lose her dribble. So, I mean, there was something there. <laughs> there was something there. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 You you have lots of soccer in your future, I'm guessing. Yeah. And I hey, I I enjoyed uh, taking my older one, you know, through it. Um her team kind of was kind of broken up because um most of the girls went over to the travel league and she's like, "Well, if most of my friends are going to be in it, I know I'm not good enough to be in it." Um I kind of right. don't want to be in it cuz I don't really like this running thing. That's why I'm goalie. Um and so she's like, well, I'm going to try something else. So she went and tried drama. And at that point, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, you know, go on, try to find something you're passionate about. But the little one, she is, she's like, it, it, like even in practice, she starts boring. She's like, can we have a scrimmage coach? <laughs> it's like, but we just, <laughs> scrimmage, please? Can, you know, I want to score on someone. So yeah, she's kind of crazy for it. I'm kind of hoping that continues on because I'd love to see her in, in, at the high school age and play more competitively and, and really learn the game and learn how to train and you know, understand that the effort that you put into training 
it equals out to what you get in the games, but not always, you know, and, and sure. those, those lessons that you could only learn when you play team sports. Well, it's interesting. So that there is a saying, right? That so char- character or sports don't build character, sports reveal character. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, well, I think there's definitely lessons to be learned there. Uh, you know, uh, patience and, uh, you know, gratitude are also two that we could probably work a little bit more on. Yep. So speaking of that, so you're a scout leader too. So you've got all this other stuff going on and you're a scout leader. So tell us more about um, how did you come about doing that? Yeah. So uh, ultimately, so I was in Boy Scouts as a, as a youth. Um, I was awarded the Eagle Scout, right, which is the highest rank uh, in, in scouting uh, just barely before my 18th birthday, uh, which is the cutoff. Uh, you know, and thanks mom, right. To, uh, kind of pushing me over that, that finish line and, uh, and getting the project done. And so I, I had a good experience with scouting. Um, you know, our troop wasn't very, very big. You know, we didn't do a lot of, you know, crazy things like these 50 mile hikes and whatnot. Our, we, our camp outs were, you know, uh, growing up in North Carolina, right. They were a little more redneck, right. Than, <laughs> than, 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 than most. And, um, but, but I had good memories with them. And anyway, so fast forward and then ultimately, uh, through our church, I was asked to serve as a scout leader, uh, which, well, I started, I started in inviting myself to the campouts, um, at the time. So I have, I have five kids, but our, our youngest is the boy, the other, the older four are girls. And so we would we'd do some camping, but, and my wife camping is not her thing. Right. And I wanted to start doing some more camping. So I invited myself on the, the campouts with the Boy Scouts. And then they're like, huh, Carlos wants to be with the Boy Scouts. Let's invite him to be the leader. And, um, and so I did that for several years and enjoyed it immensely working with young men. Um, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great privilege and, and, uh, and responsibility. You know, I, you know, enjoy being with an, you know, with an organization that, you know, talks about duty and honor and, uh, you know, giving back. And so those are all things that, that were very, very important to me. Um, one of the pinnacles, I call it my mancation, right? Cause at the time I didn't have, I didn't have a son. And so that was always kind of a weird thing. I would get kind of weird looks from the other, the other leaders and other troops because generally you have a son in scouts. That's how you get in scouts. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I didn't have that. And so they'd be like, you know, why are you here again? <laughs> but, uh, the national jamboree, they have a national jamboree every four years, uh, for 10 days. Uh, it's now in Beckley, West Virginia. And I was lucky enough, uh, four years ago to be an adult leader and go up with a troop. Uh, we had 40 boys, uh, 40 young men. And we took them up there for 10 days and I had an absolute blast. Wow. That must be cool going, going to the national jamboree. Um, did they have give, give you any special badge or anything to say that you were an Eagle scout just so you, like you got bling around there? Yeah. Um, so, uh, as an Eagle scout, there is a, there is a little patch that you can wear as an adult that will go in your uniform. Um, and so that along with the, so from Cubs, if you get your arrow of light, that's, that's another one that you can wear as an adult and you can, you know, that will be on there for the rest of your, you know, for the rest of your career. Um, all the other badges you cannot wear, right. As an adult or well, patches or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. That stinks. I mean, come yeah. on. What if I want to live my former glory, man? 
<laughs> well, no, they have. They definitely have plenty of uh, of other patches for the, for the adults and, and some of the things that they do. Um, and you know, there's the council patches, which in, you know, uh, inter- interestingly enough, I actually collect council patches. I started when I was a youth, and uh, and then have just kind of collected them over the years, and now have many more than my wife cares for. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, that's been an enjoyable enjoyable thing for me as well. You know, I think we need to do that with conferences, right? So I think what I'm going to do is like the next like past summit, I'm just going to put like my old speaker badge on it, even though I probably <laughs> won't be speaking. And I'm just going to walk around like that. And it's like, yeah, I was a speaker once. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of, of past, are you going to be uh, going there this year? I didn't make it last year. And this year is, um, this year, Steve and I are going to put on our first conference. Oh. Um Kind of as an extension, if you will, of the podcast, and being able to have that uh, that ability to converse around a topic, SQL Server kind of being that topic, uh, but but do so in formal and informal ways. And so we've uh, put together so Compañero Conference is the is the URL for the conference. It will be in Norfolk, Virginia, on October fourth and fifth. No, that sounds great. And you know what, Carlos, whatever you get closer to the time and, you know, your, your registrations are open and you have more information to share, definitely yeah. feel free to let us know and, you know, we'll talk about it in the show, tweet it, post it, whatever. So kind of just let people know about it. Awesome. So I, I would definitely yeah. appreciate that. Tons of stuff that you're doing already. So you're also publishing a book, Carlos? So the, yeah, the book is published. It, got, it was published uh, in December of 2017. So the book is so it's called Zero to SQL in Twenty Lessons, and it's basically introductory SQL language. Um, oh, okay. Originally, I was going to and again lots of other books. I mean, this is not new uh, or particularly you know super exciting, but I knew that it was kind of a tried and true. Though. There's lots of information out there. I'm adding my own version to it, right? Right. And um, but getting but writing, I guess I should say. Be forewarned, right? So I knew that I was going to self-publish because I wasn't going through a publisher to do this. But then I also learned a whole lot about launching a book and, and doing it the self-publishing way. So I used Amazon CreateSpace. Uh, I've, I knew that was going to be the venue or the the, the the way that I was going to get that out. And uh, I started talking with people, other people who had published books and then just learned a whole lot more about that whole process. And so it took me another year after the book was done, I, mean, I, I made very few changes to the book in that year, uh, but it was all just kind of getting it ready to launch and ship. And and then finally, I just said, look, let's get it out. <laughs> so that's interesting it. because I'm, I'm sure a lot of us, between me and Richie and even the, you know, the ladies and gentlemen that are listening to the show right now, sure, most of us have probably never published a book before. I'm sure, you know, we've written and read blog posts, we've obviously probably read a lot of books throughout our lives. So tell us, you know, give us a little bit of insight about what's that process like? Like what made you decide to self-publish and, you know, why did you decide to go with Amazon versus, I know there's Lean Pub and tons of these other, mm-hmm. you know, self-publishing um, outlets that you could use, right? Like, so, so kind of walk us through some of the things that you learned along the way and why did you make certain choices, you know, as you did? Well, um, so part of it, ignorance is bliss, right? And so like you mentioned LeanPub, I have not heard of that until you just mentioned it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I felt just from 
uh, from my perspective, that Amazon, right, being the big behemoth that they are, that that was going to give me the easiest platform to get my book out. Again, kind of having talked with some folks and looking at that process of going through self-publishing, it's it's actually not very hard to do. Um, again, it's more the marketing aspects that that get a little bit harder. And so that process seemed uh, very straightforward to me. And I thought that, you know, Amazon was a name that everybody would feel comfortable with so that if I, if my book was on Amazon, that would give it clout, right? That would give it a, oh, like you're a real book (laughs) rather than like, oh, you, you know, it's a glorified blog post or something like that. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the, the, the reason that I went the, the Amazon route. Um, and I, I didn't search for a lot of other choices. Um, and so, so I think it's been good. It's, it has been interesting when I originally did my research because I wanted to see what other people were doing as well. Because again, like this topic is not new. Uh, there were several books at the time and it seems like it's just exploded since then. I mean, I literally like every time I go onto Amazon now, it seems like there's another sequel book. And I'm like, you've got to be joking me. <laughs> So it is getting quite a bit crowded and I probably need to look for other venues uh, to do that. But again, I, I was looking for ways to get feedback um, and, and and eyeballs at it. And I thought Amazon was the best choice to, to begin with. I guess one of the things I, they have and the other reason I decided to go there and, and maybe not look at some of these other places is through the Kindle Direct program. If you commit to selling only through Amazon and for a period of 90 days, which you can renew or, or opt out of after 90 days, then Amazon will give you some, some marketing options. One of which is to give the Kindle edition away for free. They count downloads, even if they're free downloads in the, you know, that's part of the algorithm when they, that they look at to, when they decide what books to show you or what items to show you. Uh, downloads or purchases play into that, into that, uh, that mix. And so the ability to give your way, your book away for free and have people download it, um, increases the chance that you'll make it to page one of the, you know, people also purchased X. And so that was another reason why I decided to go through, uh, you know, the Kindle program. But, and so do you think you'll be creating another book or is this kind of, like, what was your experience like? Was this something that was really exciting to you? And now you're like, yeah, I can't wait to get the another one, next one out. Or are you kind of like, you know, I'm glad I got this off my chest kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm just going to ride, ride this wave for a little while. So kind of like organizing the sequel Saturday, right? When you immediately finish it, you're like, oh, I'll never do that again. But two or three months later, you're like, let's do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, nice. And I, I, I feel that way, you know, a little bit about the book. Um, will there be another book? The plan is yes, there'll be another book. In fact, uh, so Steve and I, or, well, Steve has written a book on CTEs that he had published through another company that is folded. So he still has rights to the book. So we're looking at actually publishing the book under the Sequel Data Partners brand um, here in the, in the upcoming months. So that's one, although the bulk of that is is already done. So now it's just more the marketing and actually the execution process of creating the book. Um, I could see there being other books. One of the things I think I would do next time 
is look for collaborators. If it, if it's something that I think I could potentially turn into a course, um, or, or sell other components, because again, you have to put your entrepreneur hat on. And how do I, with this content, how can I kind of use this in as many areas as possible to generate revenue? Well, I could definitely say, Carlos, you are a busy, busy man. <laughs> you have tons of, <laughs> tons of cool stuff going on though. And I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it. No, so, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's been great. I do appreciate it. We'd like to thank Carlos for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have our friend Bradley Ball returning for his second time on the show. One of, one of the things, I don't know if you remember, there's this bit on Friends where uh, Joey talks about smell the fart acting. Uh, which is whenever you need to look really serious and really tense in a scene, you furl your eyebrows. You'll kind of look up and you'll, you'll, you know, kind of, it looks like you're smelling. And if you look at it, it looks like you're smelling a fart and then you realize it's your own fart and then you smile. And what I realized was every single scene in Smallville, there was a point in time around season three or four where every single scene was smell the fart acting. This should be pretty cool. Uh, this was pretty cool, dude. Yeah, definitely. So make sure you check us out next time. Bye. Bye. Please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we want to thank you for listening to Away from the Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego! But to that note, though, to that note, just this morning, because it's funny, funny you said that, Carlos, because just this morning I was thinking, 
as I'm looking through our, our guest list, I was like, you know, we had know enough people that we could have a away from the keyboard conference. Oh, I was like, that might be, I don't know what we talk about. We'd probably, it'll be like the conference about nothing kind of thing, <laughs> but it'll be, I think, I think the um, Seinfeld conference. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. It's a technical yeah. Seinfeld conference. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, you know, kind of just looking at the, you know, looking at the roster, I mean, there's, there's tons of people and I'm sure with you too, right? There's tons of people that you've spoken to and lots of great discussions and conversations. And if you could just bundle that up in a little package and, you know, have a dedicated day or two to do that with, you know, some other folks. I mean, that, that sounds tremendously interesting. Right. Well, the, the question if we did an AFTK uh, conference is, who's footing the bill? Because Lord knows it's not either one of us, man. Sponsor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sponsor. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, you know, good luck to um, you guys in doing that because, you know, being um, with, uh, with Brent Ozar, uh, unlimited. That's the official name. I gotta say all the thing. Um, and understanding how much it costs to put some of these uh, training events on. Wow, something that my head kind of explodes a little bit every time I see some of that. It's like, whoo, man! This, this uh, places want money. It's sure. <laughs> it's amazing. When did this start? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It can it can be very expensive. I mean, I think luckily we so in Norfolk we kind of uh, lucked out. I don't know if lucked out is quite the right word, but there is a facility that for I would say reasonable cost. And again, we're kind of limiting ours. Well, we're looking to limit probably to fifty people is kind of what the our capacity is for the conference. That may go up and down just depending on you know the interest level, but. We're not going to go over a hundred, no matter what, and that helps uh, control some of those costs. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it can be very, very, very expensive. One of the, one of the other, I guess, ways to do that is simplifying uh, some of the things that we do in the conference. Um, and again, Norfolk has a so we're actually going to be we're actually going to be using food trucks uh, to do to do lunches. So oh, is one of them a taco truck? Because I'll be like, there, bro. I'm not going to go into the conference at all. It's just like, you want to re- talk to Richie? He's over by the taco truck. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's where he's at. And that's that's his people. He's gonna, just going to hang out 